Appreciate uh, how God has transformed many of our singles in our fellowship. And uh, appreciate what God continues to do. You know, just reach over to the person next to you and just give them a, a warm hug or a, a squeeze in an appropriate area. Just tell them it's great to have you here today. Let's come on back. I've let the dogs out. Let's, uh, let's have a word of prayer as we continue in our worship. Our Father in Heaven, we are so thankful that you have us at church this morning, not to stay the same, but to be transformed by you. Thank you for calling us out of the world, out of darkness, and into your wonderful light. And the opportunity to worship you here on earth for the rest of our lives is the greatest opportunity we ever have. God, thank you. Thank you from the bottom of our hearts, the way that you change us, the way that you give us inspiration, uh, the way that you give us purpose and a dream uh, for our very lives. It's so great to see families together today worshiping you. Uh, So great to have every station of life here under one roof to be able to lift our hearts and our minds to you. Continue to bless our time as we proclaim your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. After my time here this morning, we will uh, participate in communion together. But the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most important event ever in mankind, ever in the history of man. Easter proved that Jesus is the Son of God. The resurrection of Jesus Christ absolutely proved That Jesus claimed to be the Son of God, and that's exactly who He was. And He proved it. He demonstrated it to us. He said, I will die for you. I will die for the people of this world in order to prove that I am the Messiah, the Savior of this world. Without the resurrection, there is no forgiveness of sins for us. Without the resurrection, there is no hope of heaven for any of us to go there. Without the resurrection... We would not have a purpose in life. We would not have any kind of reason to live. The resurrection is the most important event in all of mankind. Please turn your Bibles over to John chapter 20. We'll be looking at that text this morning. But it's real interesting, after Jesus was killed, was crucified, was buried, His apostles, His disciples fell apart. They had given their entire lives and poured their lives into Jesus and following Him for the last three and a half years. And now Jesus was gone. And you can imagine the pain, you can imagine the challenge that the apostles must have felt. Thinking now that their so-called Savior was leading them and now He's gone. Did we miss something? Are 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 we missing the boat here? And the disciples were scattered. The disciples were devastated. In their mind, Jesus was supposed to establish the kingdom on earth. And yet now, their hero was gone. And all of a sudden, he's now killed. Crucified between two thieves. Some of the disciples, we read in the Gospels, they ran away. Some of the disciples fled like cowards. One even denied Christ. Denied that he even knew Him. 
because of the devastation that was happening. The disciples were discouraged. They were depressed. They were defeated. In other words, they were running on empty. Their gas tanks were empty. Let me see a show of hands. How many of you, when you're driving your car, never let your gas tank get below half empty? You gotta look around. These are the people you want to ride with. <laughs> Raise your hand. How many of you never let it go beyond a quarter of a tank left? Okay, alright. Okay, how many of you see how far you can go after the little light goes on? This is scary. Wow. Alright, how many of you think the E means enough to keep going? Alright, last question here. How many of you have ever run out of gas? Wow. 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 Yeah, you need to look around, brothers and sisters, and you need, you need to help that person raising their hands. You need to insist that they carpool with you next time we go to an event. The disciples had run out of gas. They were at their point where they didn't know what to do. Their hero was gone. Their hero was crucified and he was dead. They were devastated. They were without a leader. They were without a plan. This is what the disciples we're facing. And I don't know where every single one of you are at spiritually. Some of you may have come in today and you may be flying high. You may be loving life. You may be thinking, life is the greatest life I have. And that's wonderful. That's awesome. Because I believe God wants us to experience that in our lives. Some of you may feel like you're running on empty. Some of you may feel like you're coming in here depressed, defeated, dejected, Some of you may be stressed. Some of you may be feeling like I'm ready to throw in the towel. Some of you feel like you're stressed about work. Work is stressing you out. And you are dreading going back to work tomorrow. And you wish that tomorrow morning your employees would break out in church songs. Some of you are stressed about about finances. You're worried about where's where's rent going to come in. How am I going to pay the bills? Some of you may be stressed about your health. The older we get, things start not working. But some of us are worried. We're stressed about our health. Some of us may be stressed about our kids. Maybe our kids aren't doing that well right now, and we're worried about them. We're stressed about how they're doing. Some of us may be stressed about our marriage. Our marriage isn't going real well right now, and we need help. And we need someone to help us. Maybe you're frustrated. Maybe you're fatigued. Maybe you're fearful. Maybe you're weird. Maybe you're sick and tired. Maybe you're just sick and tired of being sick and tired. If you fit into any of these things, you picked a good Sunday to come to church. Because God gives us good news. God gives us great news. Because God, after He resurrected from the dead, He absolutely made 
these disciples who were fearful and cowardice and faithless. He made them faithful. He encouraged them. He empowered them. He gave them hope. Their hero came back. And He absolutely allowed these disciples to have a boldness and a freedom and a power that they'd never experienced before. And I believe God wants to do the same for our lives today, this Easter day. He wants to do the same. He wants to give you power. He wants to give you boldness. He wants to make you a faithful man, a faithful woman. Someone who will stand up for God and not be a wimp, not be lazy, but someone who is excited and zealous to live for our Lord Jesus Christ. The resurrection changed everything. It absolutely changed everything. And three days later, when Jesus came back, He visited His disciples. And what happened in that upper room forever changed the followers of Jesus Christ. Forever changed. Because these people were now full of courage. They were full of hope. They were full of boldness. They were afraid of no one. Nothing. They were fearless. Because they were, they were definitively convinced that Jesus resurrected from the dead. And because of that, that's what gave them the eternal hope. That's what happened to these apostles. Let's start reading here in John chapter 20, in verse 19. And let's see how Jesus transformed these men. And I believe He wants, us, he wants to transform us today as well. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. That's, that's encouraging right there. I mean, Jesus comes back for the first time, and he, he could have criticized them. He could have said, Guys, where were you when I was, you know, dying on the cross? You guys scattered. Jesus could have come and said all that. But you know what? Jesus came and he said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and he said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they're forgiven. If you don't forgive them, they're not forgiven. Now, Thomas called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We've seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. This is where Doubting Thomas comes from. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. You see, Jesus, he's ministering to Thomas privately. Thomas, I want you to put your fingers right here. Touch my hands where the nail marks were. Reach out your hand and put it into my side where the centurion stabbed me on the cross. Thomas, put it right here. I want you to touch me. Stop doubting and believe. God doesn't want any of us to remain in our doubts. He wants us to believe who Jesus Christ really is. That He is the Savior for our lives. He is the Savior of this world. God wants to smash the doubts that we have and replace it with belief. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you've seen me, you believe. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. 
Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. What an incredible passage of Scripture. How Jesus came and comforted his disciples who were devastated and depressed. And you can just see Jesus building them back up. You can see that. And it's amazing how God is so much bigger than the hurt that we put on Him. Because Jesus could have come back and He could have blamed them. He could have criticized them. He said, where were you guys? I needed you. He didn't take the sin that we threw on Him personal. He was so much greater than that. And Jesus came back to love us. Jesus came back to comfort us. Jesus came back to encourage us because He knows exactly how these disciples were feeling. He knew exactly that He needed to comfort them in this time of depression and rejection in their lives. This is the Lord that we serve. How did Jesus transform His disciples? And let's personalize it. What does Jesus do to us to transform us? What does He do to transform us? Number one. Number one, He shows you His love. He shows you His love. This is exactly what Jesus was doing when He came back to visit the disciples. He was showing them His love. The love that He had for them. And consequently, we can personalize it and realize the love that God for each one of us. God loves you. He loves each one of us individually. God is big enough for His love to go all around to meet our needs. In John chapter 20, verse 20, in the New Living Translation, the Bible talks about as Jesus spoke, He showed them to help them see the wounds in His hands and His side. That's what Jesus was doing. And the Bible says that the disciples were filled with joy. What was Jesus doing? Jesus was absolutely showing them His love. This must have been a shock to the disciples. Can you imagine seeing someone who had been dead for three days and now they had been raised back to life? That would be a shocker. And Jesus was affirming that it wasn't a ghost. He was very real to the disciples. And we may all realize, we may all have heard growing up in our lives that Jesus died on the cross. But do you realize that He died for you? You've got to personalize it. You've got to personalize this. If you were the only person living in the world, Jesus still would have died for you. And when you personalize your relationship with God, when you personalize what the Scriptures are saying, then you're going to allow God to transform you. You're going to change, not according to your standards, but to God's standard. But Jesus died for me. He died for you, every single one of us. And the greatest act of love that has ever been done on your behalf was not done by your parents, even though my mom and dad are here today. The greatest act of love was never done by your spouse, by your siblings, by your school teacher, by your boyfriend, by your girlfriend. The greatest thing that's ever been done in love for you is when Jesus died on the cross for you. 
That is the greatest act of love that will ever be done for you. We didn't deserve it. We never will. Jesus died for you. No man will ever love you the way that Jesus has loved you. No woman will ever love you the way that Jesus has loved you. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, the Bible simply says, But God showed His great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Christ was sent. God demonstrated His love. He exhibited it. He proved His love to us by sending His Son while we were still sinners. This is amazing. Jesus died for us while people were still in sin, while people were disobeying the Word of God, while people were going after their sinful pleasures, their sinful lusts, while people were still ignoring God's command, living selfishly, doing their own thing. While people were doing this and not even caring about God, Jesus died for those individuals in that state. And that's the point. That's amazing. Amazing to think that Jesus would die for people who don't even care about Him. Don't even want to follow Him. And Jesus understood that not everyone would respond to His death, burial, and resurrection. And yet, He took that chance that by dying, some people would respond. Some people would pay attention and actually be serious enough to consider following Jesus Christ. Jesus took that chance. Are you part of that crowd? Are you part of that crowd that cares enough and is serious enough to follow Jesus Christ? And you're not going to play around with the life that God has given you. But you're going to be serious. You're going to decide to change your life to follow Christ for the rest of your earthly life. We would expect God to save a righteous and good person. But to save someone who is in sin, that is just unbelievable. That is unbelievable. How did God prove His love? Note how many times, or note how God proved His love. God sent His Son, sent Him out from spiritual and the eternal world to come down to, to earth and to be corrupted by sin. God had to humiliate Jesus Christ by stripping Him of His eternal glory so that He could be the sacrifice for all mankind. God had to watch Jesus Christ walk through life rejected, beaten, killed, murdered, arrested, tortured, put to death at the hands of sinful man. God had to lay all the sins of the world upon Him. Even though He had never sinned before, God laid all the sin upon Jesus Christ. God had to turn His back upon Jesus, upon death. And God had to cast all His wrath against, against sin that was upon Christ. This is how God has proved to us how much He loves us. We don't deserve it. We never will. We never have anything more than God's love for our lives. And if you turn away from God's love, you have no hope in your life. If you turn away from God's calling in your life and the love that He has for you, you have no other option. You have no other answer. 
And we are lucky to be loved by someone, especially by God. We are, lo- we are loved by Him. When you feel loved, you're transformed. When you feel loved by someone, you feel appreciated, you feel like you have meaning, you are transformed. And love can transform you. You know, I saved a, uh, a little photo album that I made for Son when I asked her to be my wife back in 1989. And I proposed to her on the beaches of Carmel where I grew up. And uh, it was a great time of, of uh, engagement. But I blindfolded her and kind of walked her through the beaches of Carmel and uh, brought her to a blanket that was just overlooking the ocean. And uh, it, it was great because prior to that several months, it was, um, it was uh, let's just say, my first date with Son was probably the worst Christian date of my entire existence. And probably for her too. Because both of us were very prideful to each other. And Son was very, uh, she was playing hard to get. She really was. She was playing hard to get. But I remember the first date and we, uh, I picked her up at the house and she opened the door she was like crying. And I was thinking, the date's not going to be that bad. <laughs> but she had had a really hard talk with a sister in the back room and she was very emotional and that's why she was crying at the time. But... We went and went to a, like a luncheon and a, a, like a special contribution luncheon at church before going to church. And we, we sat next to each other, but we really didn't even talk to each other. We actually talked to the people that were sitting next to us on the other side. And so uh, we went to church together. We got to the, the entrance and said, just said, uh, thanks for a great time. And then we kind of went to our ministries and sat, sat separate. And then uh, a few days later... Um, we saw each other after church one time, and we're at uh, like a little eatery after lunch. And Son came over, and she kind of she kind of tossed a card to me on the counter. <laughs> and I could tell I could tell that she uh, she was either encouraged by a sister to write this card, or uh, I could just tell it was just you know something something there. And I wanted to read it. That's because I saved the first card she ever gave me. She says, thanks for a great time on Monday. I Yes, we had a date on Monday. I appreciate being able to spend time under God's creation, but especially being able to know you better. I'll be praying for your ministry in Contra Costa and also for your parents. Amen. I look forward to more talks. Signed, Son. Very safe. Very generic. Okay, that's the first card right there. But, as time went on, the cards got better. The cards got better, and I knew at some point, again, Son was playing hard to get. Several months, honestly, we didn't, we didn't go on another date for several months after that, because it was like, we, had, we, had, we needed time to recover. But then we started dating again. I was encouraged to, to ask her out again. And 
And I knew that she started liking me when she made my favorite cookies, white chocolate and macadamia nut. But then the cards started coming in. And I wanted to read you another one that was later on. It says, Dear Anthony, thanks for an awesome date. It's such a joy for me to spend time with you and, and get to know you better. Despite the time being very short, I feel like I value our friendship more than ever. I really do regret uh, or, or respect, not regret, I'm sorry, respect. <laughs> I do respect your life and your ministry, and I'm confident that every place where you set your, your feet will be yours, and because of your steadfast love for the Lord, she added a scripture. The flowers are beautiful. They had a nice touch to my room, and, and the date, thanks for organizing and, and everything. And then, you know, the cards were starting to be signed, Love Song. And then I knew, I was taking him back to the brush and saying, look, she loves me, look, she loves me. And once I knew that Son loved me, it, it, it changed me. It changed me. And now, 22 years later, and two beautiful, strapping Filipino boys, and it's transforming. When you are loved... You can be transformed. When you understand that God loves you, you can be transformed. Because you realize the greatest person who loves you is not a man, not a woman, not a person in your earthly life, but it's God. And when you understand that, you can live a transformed life. Amen? Number two, how does God transform us? He offers you forgiveness. He offers you forgiveness. You know, this verse in John chapter 20, verse 23, this is a a highly debatable verse. And it seems like Jesus is saying, wow, these guys have the authority to forgive sins. If these guys have the authority to forgive sins and they don't forgive me, then wow, I can't be forgiven. You mean forgiveness comes through a man? Now, we know other scriptures in the Bible that talk about God is the only one that forgives sins. Mark chapter 2, verse 7. The correct understanding of this passage ties in with Matthew chapter 16, verse 19. Is that the disciples weren't providing forgiveness. That's not what they were authoritatively meant to do. Because if you think about it, God is the only one who can forgive sins eternally. We might be able to forgive each other by the hurts that we cause against each other. But when it comes to forgiveness of sins eternally, that only comes from God. That only comes from Him. And Jesus was not setting up these disciples to be the spiritually elite, like only they could forgive sins of the people. If sinners would repent and be baptized and decide to live for Him, then absolutely they'll be able to experience the forgiveness of God. All that we can do as Christians is we can proclaim the message of forgiveness that comes through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what God wants us to do. This passage in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5 simply says there's only one God and Christ Jesus is the only one who can bring us to God. Jesus was truly human and gave himself to rescue all of us. There's only one mediator and one savior and that is Jesus Christ. He is the one that forgives us of our sins. And I remember studying the Bible back in 1986 when I was a campus student at UC Berkeley 
studying the scriptures and the brothers showing me what it meant to follow God and being amazed that I now have the opportunity to be forgiven of my sins, past, present, and future. It was too good to be true. It was too good to be true. That I could be forgiven of my immorality. I could be forgiven of my impurity. I could be forgiven of my deceit, my lying, my anger, my swearing, my pride, my selfishness. Thinking that God would give me a clean slate and like a wiper blade when it rains, He continues to wipe those sins away. Past, present, and future. That's like too good to be true. Because as humans, we don't think that way. We don't operate that way. Sometimes we don't even treat each other that way. And yet God is different than us. Amen. He is radically different than us. He has that ability to not only forgive our sins, but to forget our sins. That's quite amazing. That is quite amazing. You and I need forgiveness. We all need it. We all need it because all of us have sinned against other people. And more importantly, all of us have sinned against God. And unless our sins are forgiven by God, unless they are forgiven by Him, ultimately, not just by other people, we will remain separated from Him. And we won't go to heaven, but we will go to hell. But if our sins are forgiven by God, if we repent, if we allow God to let, to get our lives in order, we turn our lives over to Him, we dedicate our lives to Him, we get baptized for the remissions of sins, then God promises we will be with Him forever. But we've got to make decisions. We've got to make decisions for Him. And it's because of our sins This is what separates us from God. And if we don't live for God, if our lives are not dedicated to Him, then we will fill up our lives with sin. We'll fill up our lives with the things of this world. We will fill up our minds and our hearts with non-God things. And they will consume us and they will take over. I'd like to show a picture here. One of my favorite desserts is something that Son gets at Costco. Cream puffs. It's the vanilla filling that gets me. And I do have to absolutely, when San gets that little box of cream puffs, I could, I could literally eat 10 to 20 of them in one sitting. And I know some of you can too. But this is one of my favorite desserts. Uh, I really believe that the Hebrew word for manna in the Old Testament was cream puff. Because this tastes so good. This tastes so good. It's that, it's that vanilla filling. See it oozing out right there? I mean, this cream puff is just not the same without that filling. If it's, 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 this is a, a cream dud if it has no filling. But with that filling, watch out. Watch out. And it's interesting, whenever we're running empty, or we're empty inside, so often what can happen is that we always try to fill that void with some, something, with some kind. We have this vacuum in us, we have this emptiness in us at different times in our life. And you look at your life and you can go and you can actually start filling that void and that emptiness with other things. 
And my question for you is, what, what is your standard preferred filling when you're running on empty? What is your standard preferred filling when you're running on empty? When you're feeling empty, what do you fill it up with? You know, some people, when they've hit an emptiness, a rock bottom, or they're depressed, or they're tired just from their day, and they're wiped out and fatigued, they come home filled with emptiness, and they just sit and watch TV for hours upon hours upon hours. Or entertainment, just filling up their time and their mind with entertainment, without God, without any kind of influence of God, but just giving over and filling up their lives with these things. You know, others feel empty inside and they, they fill up their emptiness with, uh, with food, like cream puffs. 21 of them, not 20, but 21 of them. Some people fill up their... their they're consumed with food. And there are a lot of eating disorders today. It's very, very real. But when people are depressed, they will, they will turn to that emptiness and they'll fill that void with food. They'll fill up that emptiness with alcohol, perhaps. Or with pornography. Or with uh, pills. Or with drugs. Or with one-night stands. Or with bars. People will fill up that void with something other than God. And everybody has something. It could be a hobby. It could be a sport. It could be work. When people feel empty, they just work more. They try to get busy and they just do more without the influence of God. Which one are you? When you feel empty, when you feel down, when you feel depressed, who do you go to to fill yourself back up with? Where do you go? Do you go to God? Do you pray? Do you go to His Word? Do you rely on Him? Because there's something common about all these things I just mentioned. None of them last. All these other fillings, if it's not with God, they don't last. They're not eternal. They won't last. And God is teaching us you cannot fill up your life solely on these fillers without filling your life up with me. Because God wants to be that vanilla filling for you. That's who He wants to be. And when you got that vanilla filling in you, watch out. You are like mighty, mighty, awesome cream puff. That's who you are. Because Jesus Christ is the permanent filling that we've got to have in our lives. He needs to be the only one that we have in that filling. Psalm 32, verse 1 and 2. God wants to replace that empty space with sin, with His presence and forgiveness. It simply says, happy is the person whose sins are forgiven whose wrongs are pardoned. Happy is the person whom the Lord does not consider guilty in whom there is nothing false. Happy times are those who are forgiven by God. Forgiveness is the key. And when we're forgiven by God, we can be transformed. I hope you're not playing around with sin. I hope you're not dabbling with it. I hope you're not letting sin dictate your mind and your heart. If you are, you've got to fight. You've got to fight against it. You've got to repent against it. And not let sin take over. Don't fill your life with sin. Repent and seek out God's forgiveness for your life. Then you'll be transformed. Last, lastly, how does God transform us? He gives you a reason, a new reason to live life. He gives you a brand new reason to live life. You know, many people today, they don't know their purpose in life. A lot of people don't, 
don't know what their purpose in life is. They'll continue just getting to be swept away by the rat race of this, this world and they won't stop and consider what the purpose of their life is for. We've got to realize that if you're going to follow Jesus, following Jesus is not for wimpy people. Following Jesus is not for lazy people. Following Jesus is not for cowards. Following Jesus is not for those who are weak in heart. But following Jesus takes courage. It takes courage to be a man or woman of God. It takes conviction to be a man or woman who stands up for God regardless of what other people around you are saying. And you're not giving into the peer pressure of what other ungodly people may be doing, but you are listening to God. He is your hero. He is your, your master. He is your Lord. And when you do that, God is going to transform you. I love what it says in John chapter 20, verse 21. Jesus looked at his apostles and he simply said, Peace be with you. And the Father, as the Father sent me, I now send you. I love this. I mean, Jesus, again, he could have come back and said, Guys, I know you made some mistakes. I know you blew it. I know you weren't very reliable for me. But regardless of those things, I still have a plan to use your life. I still have a plan to use you. And this is the plan. This message is going to go all around the world. And it's amazing. Within 300 years, these original apostles and the future disciples, they got the gospel spread throughout the Middle East and literally around the world. That message of Jesus Christ was around the world. And now today, billions of people are affected by the message of Jesus Christ, ourselves even, because of these 11 men who saw their reason to live. And that's what Jesus does. He gives us a new reason to live. This is why I gave up going to medical school to go into the full-time ministry. And I know that not all of us are going to be serving in that capacity, but all of us who are called to be Christians are full-time Christians. And God has us, and we should be continually evaluating our lives and asking ourselves, asking God, God, how can I be more effective in the station in life that you have me in? How can I be more effective at work, at school, in my neighborhood? How can I be more effective to serve you? Because there are people that you can reach that I can't reach for the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are people that you can reach, but the person next to you sitting can't reach, or they can reach for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what God is doing for us as a church. He is sending us out into the world to help spread the gospel of Jesus Christ so that all people get the opportunity to become disciples of His. That's what Christ is doing for us. And God is going to win the people of our school our neighborhoods, our workplaces, through us. Because He's sending us to spread the good news. And lastly, as we look at Philippians chapter 2, what does God want us to do? In the message in Good News Bible, He says, Go into the world uncorrupted. A breath of fresh air in this squalid, that, that just means dirty, really dirty place, and polluted society. Provide people with a glimpse of good living. Your example in the world is so important because people are watching you. People are watching you at the workplace. They're watching your language. They're watching your actions. They're watching your conduct. If you claim to be a Christian, they are watching you. And you are the best advertisement billboard that God can have.
But if you're not living that way, then you can destroy that message of Christianity. But the Bible says, give people a glimpse of good living and and of the living God. Carry the light-giving message into the night. You must shine among them like stars lighting up the skies. When you find someone who's a disciple of Jesus Christ, all of a sudden they become this, this beaming light lighting up the stars in the skies. So what does God want us to do? He wants us to go in our classroom, campus students, high school students. He wants you to go to school and be a light. That means you're at class. Early. You could be sitting up in the front seats. You are ready to go. You are a great learner from your teachers. You're a great example to the students around you. What does God want us to do in the workplace tomorrow morning? He wants you to be a shining light. He wants you to brush your teeth. He wants you to smile. He wants you to shine in your workplace. He he wants you to be an example. If you come into work and you're grumpy and you're grouchy and you're complaining and you invite them to church, yeah, come to church and be like me. They're not going to want that at all. They want someone they're attracted to because they're moved by God. They see something different about this person. If you're on a sports team, set an example. Set an example. Be the best example you can be. Be a teammate. Be an encourager. Shine like stars. Why? Why does God want us to do this in this world? Because there's a lot of people living hopeless, mediocre lives that need hope. And you are the one to help them bring the gospel to Jesus Christ. You know, Friday night was such an encouraging youth ministry night because there were many, many students that had gotten baptized over the last few weeks. And it was so encouraging. And, and if they're here, if you could just stand, that would be great. But Ty got baptized. Shadira got baptized. Keep standing up. Zach got baptized. Matt got baptized. Kendall got baptized. Keep standing up. And, and this morning... We had a single woman get baptized, Kristen DeSante. Where's Kristen? Is she there? There she is right there. She got baptized this morning at 7 a.m. Keep standing. Keep standing. All of them have discovered what God's calling is for their life. They've all been brought to a point where they've been able to identify what their sins are, and they decided to repent. They decided that they want to live the rest of their earthly life to God. They were baptized. God promises that all our sins would be forgiven, past, present, and future. And now, they are serving the Lord as our youngest brothers and sisters. They are lights to this world. Awesome. You can sit down now. But these are young individuals who have said no to the world and yes to God. They have decided... Multitudes of sins in their lifetime will be covered over because of the the decision they've made at such a young age. But God says to all of us who are disciples of Christ, I want you to shine like stars. You hit today, you hit tomorrow, you hit this week. Filled with God's presence. Filled with His power. And you can have that because it's a fact that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. Bow with me as we pray and we share communion today. Our Father in heaven, thank you for loving us. Thank you for forgiving us of our sin. Thank you for giving us a new reason to live. And you have loved us beyond 
quite honestly, God, any one of us can ever explain. It's unbelievable the amount of love that you have. And thank you, thank you for Jesus and his sacrifice. Thank you that he decided to love us and die for us. Even not guaranteeing that we all would respond to you. God, I pray as we take communion and we break the bread and we drink the cup, we relish in your love, we relish in your forgiveness, and we're excited about the life that you've given us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.